0: Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Go. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Woo! All right, Venue Church, we're so glad you're here at Venue Um, We have a, a new friend of mine that I want you to meet from Substance Church. Now, some of his guys are old friends of ours, yeah. as of not that long ago. Um, but uh, their pastor, Pastor Peter Haas, is going to come and just download a message into your spirit today. And I want you to invite him up on stage right now to come and give us what the Holy Spirit is doing. One of the coolest guys ever. They have DJ Ministries. They have so much cool stuff. I love you, man. Just download on us. Give us what the Holy Spirit's. Giving. Come on! I love it. I love it. Well, come on, Ben. U. You. Are you guys feeling good? You made it to church. It is so fun to be with all you guys in the great nation of Canada. I, I Seriously, I, I it is such a treasure to be with you guys. I, I just uh, We've had different staff members come up to venue before and just they've been bragging you up. Corey and Aaron, your pastors, incredible, incredible people. And I, I just... You know, okay, as a guy who gets to preach in churches all over the world on a regular basis, I want to remind you, I know it's easy to forget how rare your church is, but you have to understand, it is so rare to see what God is doing in your church, in this community. And so, listen, even if you're watching this on video, can we just give it up for your pastors one more time? Let me just thank them. Seriously. Seriously, you guys, Corey and Aaron, you guys are really rocking it, and I want you to know that. Now, I so what's kind of weird for me is that I didn't really grow up in church, and um, believe it or not, I did give my life to Christ in a nightclub of all places. I didn't. Most people, they're like, I just want to give my life to Christ in a church. Okay, I was like, no. I'm not going to give my life to. Christ. I'm going to no. I don't do anything normal. Just so you know, I don't name my church normal, and I don't have normal kid names for my kids. I, they have all weird hippie names, and um, so. But I, I believe it or not, I, I. I was just so close to church. I grew up in a very traditional liturgical church, and I left it very quickly as soon as I could. I feel like I thought Christianity was for people that liked 2 one of two things. They liked boring rituals, or they liked being mean to people. You know what I'm saying? And, you, and if you don't fit into one of those two groups, then you just don't fit, right? So I kind of, and, and I'll never forget, I had this one Christian friend who was always trying to drag me to church or just get me to be open to God. And I'd be like, no. Why would I do that? And, and they kept saying, Peter, you can just, just ask God to reveal himself to you sometime. And he will. And I thought, that's so weird. I'm not open right now. But, um, you know, and, and yet life has a way of leading you to God, doesn't it? Life has a way of leading all of us to God. And I I I went through a series of tragedies where my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Carolyn, um, she found her father's body right after he had committed suicide and it was one of the most awful awful tragic things i'd ever seen or experienced and and it was it rocked her and rocked her family it rocked me and then that same week uh, one of my good friends died in a car accident and i'll tell you something when you realize how fragile life is you start asking deeper questions don't you you know what i mean like you 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 think oh my gosh i better start um trying to figure out life. And yet, I I remember going to these two funerals in one week, and then that weekend I had to work at a nightclub because I would tour with my turntables, okay? So I I was actually an electronic dance music DJ, and I would go to different nightclubs and and do my thing. And of course, I'll never forget I was working, and I, I was depressed out of my mind. And I remember I got to the second story of the nightclub, and I'm looking at everybody in this dance club thinking, what are we doing? I hate this. I hate this, I hate life. We're all pretending to have fun, but none of us have any deeper answers for life. We're all just getting drunk or stoned or just trying to really um, distract ourselves with maybe relationships with the opposite sex. But in that moment, I was like, none of this is filling me. None of this is worth it. What are we doing? And in that moment of misery, all of a sudden that thought occurred to me, Peter asked God to reveal himself. And so I literally, on the second story of the nightclub, I'm like, God, I don't know. I I, like whoever you are, whatever you are. If you created the universe, then you should be powerful enough to show me what religion is the right religion. Just give me a miracle, show me a sign, you know, like lightning bolts across the sky, spelling it out, Islam, Buddhism, none of the above, you know, just make it clear, right? I thought, I thought, come on, it's not like that complicated, you know, like if God created the universe, then surely he could do something like that, and I remember, like, I didn't even know how to end the prayer, that's how, like, I literally didn't know how to end the prayer, and I go, and done. (laughs) Done. And I remember thinking, like, I backed away from, you know, I'm in the DJ booth, okay? And I I remember thinking, Peter, what are you doing? You're praying. You must really be depressed. You know what I'm saying? And my next thought was, Peter, what you really need is a smoke break. And so I'm just being honest, okay? So I passed uh, it off to my DJ assistant, and I was walking out of the nightclub, Right after praying this prayer, I prayed this prayer. I went from the second story of the club to the first story. And I was walking across the dance floor to exit the club for a smoke break. And I'm only 30 seconds away from that prayer. And a guy comes up to me, taps me on the arm and says, dude, I know this is kind of weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow him. Okay, except I didn't clap when he said it. I was freaked out. I literally, I grabbed him by the arm and I go, what did you just say? And he goes, uh, he said it again, except a little more awkwardly. "Uh, Jesus has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow him. And I'm like, "I, I I'm scared I, I'm freaking out in my head like oh no, Jesus came to my nightclub like he answered my prayer like now now I have to do whatever this guy says. you know I, I'm literally having that moment and I go I go tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I, I didn't, you know, I I probably was coming off way more intimidating than I intended, because to him he was it yeah, was probably like tell me what I'm supposed to do, Jesus boy, like I was mocking him. But in reality, I was like I'm scared. I have I have this holy fear on my life, and I'm like what am I supposed to do? And he goes. uh... Uh, and then he gave me this awkward one minute gospel presentation, like repent from your sin and give your life to Christ and he'll give you an eternal buzz. And, and I'm like, I don't even understand what you're saying fully, but OK, you know, I just prayed this prayer and you showed up. So I got to do this. And I'm like, OK, so what do we do? And he goes, uh almost like it shouldn't be this easy, you know what I mean, like, but he had no idea that I just prayed this prayer, and so that, so he's like, uh, let's pray, and so literally, I knelt down with him in the DJ, or right in the nightclub in a booth, and I grabbed his hands across the table, and I surrendered my life to Christ, and that was it, after that point, I went for Jesus, and that was it, okay, so now here, so for me, I, it's all about reaching unchurched people. That's why I do what I do, and I, and I obviously went to church with that guy the next day, and was it I weirded out all my friends and family. But I I want to I want to share this with you because I, I really believe that there's some of you here today who you have that one loved one who you want to know Christ and you think they will never become a Christian. But let me tell you. I want you just to to expand your faith today because God can change people like this. And if God can show up in my nightclub, then you know what? He can show up for that loved one that you want to know the Lord. And so just... Remember that, okay? There is nobody who is beyond the saving grace of Christ, and um, and and you know the irony even about my story is after I became a pastor, that's when the Lord started calling me to go back and produce electronic dance music, and of course, you know, just continue to pray for me as we um, we we launch this project called Substance Variant, and it's a it's a mainstream electronic dance music. Um, experience And so uh, just pray for us if you're ever interested in even checking that out substance variant. But um, today, though, as I was just praying about today, I, I felt led as I was just praying for your church, I felt led to pray uh, to, to preach out of Acts chapter 10. And it's a, a Bible story that some of you might be familiar with. But how many of you guys have ever heard of a of a man named Cornelius before? Cornelius, okay. And if you haven't, don't worry. I, I just um, in in Acts chapter ten, we read a pretty incredible story about a man named Cornelius. And the Bible teaches that. He did not know anything about Jesus, but he still knew God existed, okay? And I want to point that out because that's kind of an important detail. He doesn't know who Jesus is, but he knows that there's got to be a God. You know what I mean? This entire crazy universe could not have just spontaneously arrived out of nothing, and then boom, here we have snowflakes and um, Xboxes and... (laughs) the bachelorette. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no way that the entire, this whole world just spontaneously arrived out of nothing, right? Cornelius knew that. And yet, to honor God with the limited knowledge of God that he had, the Bible says that he was generous. Okay, now check this out. Acts chapter 10, verse 2 says this. Cornelius was a devout God-fearing man as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So he did these two things. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know the name by which men must be saved. But he knows enough to do two things. Be generous to the poor and pray regularly. Verse 3. So watch what happens to this guy. Verse 3. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. Okay, terror. Now, the Greek word translated terror means to be struck with total and complete horror. Okay? This is like you're you're scared beyond imagination, soiling your pants. Terror, okay? So just, this is not like a fun terror. Like, oh, get terrified let's watch a horror movie okay no this is he is freaked out okay and keep in mind according to scripture angels are terrifying some people they pray to see angels i'm like no i mean look at that according to the bible angels are scary okay half the time when angels would appear to people in the scriptures the first words out of their mouths were do not be afraid Okay? If that's the first word out of your mouth every time people look at you, guess what? You're scary. I'm just saying, if you have to say that that often, there is something about you that is scary, okay? Angels are terrifying, okay? So, um, and, and I, right there, that's biblical proof that angels do not look like naked babies with wings. Okay? Where did we get that idea from? Why? these artists paint naked babies with wings, and we call them angels, okay? If a naked baby with wings showed up and said, do not be afraid, I'd be like, you're not! <laughs> you're a naked baby with wings! You know what I'm saying? Unless, of course, it was like like a huge naked baby. <laughs> that would be terrifying. Actually, you know, okay, so angels are scary. There's actually an angel in the Bible named the destroying angel. I mean, people name their kids after angels. Here's Michael, this is Gabriel, and this is my son, the destroying angel. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of you are like, that is the appropriate name of my son. But seriously, okay, my whole point here is that angels are warriors. They are messengers of God to do, and they do battle, okay? So these are not just, you know, they're scary powerful. So verse four Cornelius says, what is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. Okay, now just time out for a second, okay? Think about what just happened, okay? Uh, God was so moved by Cornelius being generous to the poor and just praying with what limited knowledge that he had, that he was so moved that he sent an angel to Cornelius to give him a revelation, even to the degree of telling him a street address of a random person. Okay, that'd be like an angel showing up to you, I want you to send for Bob in the west side of Edmonton at this address, okay? How weird is that? That's specific, okay? Now, as I was meditating on this, it became very clear to me that generosity moves the heart of God, doesn't it? If you really wanted to get revelation, okay, just, and you note takers, write this down. Here's a takeaway for you. Generosity results in revelation from God revelation from God. If you needed to know God's will in any area of your life according to scriptural precedent generosity would be a great place to start and I'm telling you church there I believe that there are some of you that God brought you to church today and there's a missing piece of information that would change everything for you it would change your marriage, it would change your physical body towards healing it would change your parenting, it would change your financial portfolio, it would change your career. I believe that there are people here today who you have a missing piece of information that would change everything. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to know the whole idea of God's will for my life. And you want to know what moves God to give us revelations? Generosity right here. Okay. And so Cornelius did not even know the name of Jesus Christ, the name that brings salvation. And yet, because he was generous, God gave him that revelation. Now, um, You know, when I was studying this story, this is kind of an interesting story—the story of um, Cornelius—because it was really, it's really a story of God responding to generosity, and I want to share with you kind of a in some ways me in the nightclub was a Cornelius story but let me let me give you another Cornelius story that happened to my wife and I a, a few years back uh, for for several years my wife and I were saving up for a new house when we when we planted our church in Minneapolis we planted substance church in Minneapolis back in 2004 and and I had no idea if this church was going to take off in fact um, vast majority of church plants only less than 1% survive a decade you know what I'm saying so uh, this is not the vocation you go into to get wealthy and to have, you know, certainty in your life. Okay, so um, as a church planter, I, I essentially bought the smallest house I could possibly buy because... I just didn't know if I was gonna be living at poverty level for 10 years. Which um, I just, I was trying to be safe and so I bought a house and my, my whole family lived in a very high crime area and the, the neighborhood that we lived in, it was not safe. You could not walk around the block. Cars would get ripped off in front of my house all the time and really strange people would stand and look in your windows with their cigarettes and stare. Okay, so it was not, this is, this is not like, hey, send your kids outside to go play in the front yard kind of neighborhood, okay? And, um, and, and so my wife and I were really hoping to upgrade our house. We had been saving, 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 year after year after year for a bigger down payment. And yet, I just felt in my heart that God had something different for that money. I didn't know how else to describe it at the time. Our church was really growing rapidly. We had actually, um, we were growing so fast, in fact, that we um, were now raising. We were doing a fundraiser to launch our fourth campus at our church. Okay, so we were, we were, we were already launching our fourth campus, but we were raising funds to do it. And of course, our church was having an offering, and it was one of those things where my wife and I hadn't. Even even prayed about what we were going to give in the offering. And I, and so like the night before the offering, I'm like, baby, I don't even know how much money we have in our bank accounts, right? And of course, in my family, my wife is kind of the bean counter, if I could say that. And so I'm like, baby, I don't even know how much money we have to pray over. You know what I mean? And, and she was like, well, let me open up the laptop. She went through the spreadsheet and she started itemizing all of the money that we had in different funds, at, at the time, on our on our spreadsheet, and she was she was kind of going through all of this, and she was like, "Well, um, okay, so we have we have twenty three thousand in mutual funds," and I was like, "Wow, we're pretty good," you know what I'm saying? And then she's like, "We have three grand in our checking account, we got nine grand in our car fund," and she just kind of goes down. And every time she would say something, I'm like, "Wow, Dave Ramsey would be so proud of her." <laughs> You know what I mean, and I'm like, I'm like, for church planters living just above poverty level, I'm like, we're doing pretty good. I, I was like proud. You know what I'm saying? And um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I felt the voice of God say to me, Peter, I want it all. I want you. To give it all. I want you to empty all of it. All of your mutual funds, all of your fund accounting, all of your car fund, all of your everything. I want you to give it all. And immediately, my next thought was I rebuke that thought, Satan. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? uh, is there anybody out there with an overactive imagination? Come on, you know who you are. I have a very, very active imagination and I kept thinking that was probably just a random thought in my head. The Lord is not actually telling me to give it all. And then I thought to myself, you know, like or maybe the Lord is saying it, but maybe I'm misunderstanding. You know, I got to clean out my ears. Maybe instead of I I want you to give it all, maybe the Lord said, I want you to go to the mall. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, what, Like okay, God, I will go shopping for you. I will carry that cross. I will go to the Edmonton Mall. You know what I'm saying? The big competitor to the Mall of America. I'll go to the mall. I'll go, and then immediately I'm like, okay, it's, what if it's the devil? Trying to get me to be overzealous, you know what I'm saying? Just whispering into my ear to just get get too passionate, you know, about Christianity, where all of a sudden I I kind of take unnecessary risks. And then I started thinking, why would the devil want me to give more money to God's church? You know, okay, it's probably not the devil. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of going through the logical process in my head. And eventually, the the truth was, I knew it was the Lord. I knew I was hearing the Lord clearly. But... I was scared, you know what I'm saying? Because this isn't just going to set my wife and I back a year or two. This could set us back five years. I mean, this could take a year or two just to get my emergency fund back up to zero, let alone, I mean, what about my vacation fund, my car? I mean, like all of that. And and you have to understand, my wife and I had already been sacrificing so much for so long just to plant the church, just to live in that house. It was such a small house in this house. It only had one small bathroom with a singular pedestal sink for all five of my family members. And three of the five family members are women. Okay, guys, you know what I'm saying? That matters, okay? That matters when three of your five family members are women with that pedestal sink and the hair dryers and the curling irons and the hair paraphernalia and whatever you call it. I don't know what ladies call their stuff. You know what I'm saying? But I just, I was just like, God, I just want my own sink. Is that too much to ask? I just want my own bathroom. I don't want to have to shower in shifts. I just want to, I just want my own bathroom. Lord, is that too much to ask? If I give it all, I'm just, I'm not going to be able to do any of that. And I just, and so I'm in the middle of this kind of like you know, freaking out in my head. And my wife goes, Peter, so what do you think we're supposed to do? Peter, come back to reality. What are we supposed to do? (sighs) How much do you want to give, Peter? And I'm like, baby, I know this is going to sound really crazy, but I just felt like the Lord said to me, and she literally took the words right out of my mouth, and she goes, we're supposed to give it all, aren't we? We're supposed to empty our bank accounts. We're supposed to give it all to the Lord and just watch what he does. And I'm like, and we looked at each other with like really stupid smiles and we're like, are we losing our minds? And yet we knew it was God and we, we, and we I, I, I did ask her, are you sure God didn't say go to the mall? <laughs> okay, okay, all right, let's do this. Um, so we, we knew that God was in it. We This was only just a few years ago and we pulled our family together and we just said, let's do this. and. Um, You know, I got to be honest with you, stories like this, they sound really cool from the pulpit, but actually it was a lot more painful and it was a lot harder to get rid of that money than I thought. Just the mere process of even calling your financial advisor and saying, you know, uh, we're going to empty all of our bank accounts. Okay. He was like, are you doing okay? Like, are you suicidal? You know, like that kind of stuff. Like you have to try to explain it to people. And and you just feel dumber and dumber every single day that you do it. And it took us a while. and, And of course, I didn't realize how many grieving processes I would have to go through in order to do this. Because every time I drove by a nice house, I was like, not for me. You know what I mean? Every time I saw a nice car, I'd be like, That's a really nice car. You know, like while I drove my rusty minivan that we call the Loser Cruiser. That's a nice car. You know what I'm saying? And and, and you know what? It, It was the smallest stuff that would mess with me, right? So right after we gave away all this money, My snowblower died and I literally had no money to buy a new snowblower and I'm like, no, you know what I'm saying? Because Minneapolis is just like here. We can get seven, eight feet of snow and all of that. And I'm like, I I am not about, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I have to shovel the entire winter because I can't afford a snowblower. Right. And of course, you know, when, when, when that happened, when it rains, it pours, right? Everywhere I went, there were snowblowers for sale that I couldn't buy, and it was so frustrating. I was at the, you know, the hardware store, and there was this one snowblower that looked gorgeous and shiny and red and manly, and angels were ascending and descending over it. And I looked at it, and I'm like, I can't buy it, God, because I just gave you my money. And, you know, I was bickering at God. Have you ever just whined at God before? I mean, really, I just, I was whining at God. And I'm in the middle of, like, whining at God. Like, I just was overzealous. I shouldn't have done that. And um, now I can't buy a snowblower. And now I have to shovel. In the middle of that wine session at the hardware store, my friend calls me on the phone and was like, dude, Peter, I've got to pastor friend who's flying in from Scotland. He's preaching at this church like 40 minutes away. You and I should go see him. And you know, it was one of those moments where the last thing I wanted to do was go to a church service. Have you ever felt that way? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and so he invited me and I'm like, all right, I'll go for you. I don't even want to see this guy. I was just totally, you have to understand I was not in a spiritual mood. And so I get there and I was in the worship service and everybody was into it. Everybody's clapping, jumping around. And I'm just kind of like, oh, that snowblower. You know what I mean? I'm just being honest with you. Some of you were like that this morning. You know what I mean? You just weren't into worship. And I I just, listen, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. You hearing me? And uh, I, so finally, by the end of the worship, I'm like, all right, God, I trust you. I couldn't get the snowblower. I know I'm going to have to shovel. I'm going to, Lord, I pray that I would have really ripped abs by the end of this winter. You know what I'm saying? Like at least something. God, bring something good out of this. But I trust you. I trust you. And so literally worship ends, right? So the Scottish pastor gets up on stage, starts doing his message and he's in the middle of his message when he stopped the service and he said, you, halfway back with the blonde hair all kind of spiky and he pointed at me and I'm like, you know, it was that awkward moment like, oh my gosh, is he talking about me? (laughs) I'm looking around and he goes, yeah, yeah, you, stand up, stand up. And he goes, the Lord just spoke to me about you and he said, that you have answered God's call to produce wealth and that you have recently made a sacrifice that you're starting to regret and God wants you to know it was not a mistake and that he's going to provide for you and he's going to open up doors for you. Okay. I turned to my wife and I'm like, whoa, that was weird, (laughs) but cool, right? Okay, so the service ends I'm walking out of church that day, and all of a sudden I get a phone call from a random guy in my church saying, Pastor Peter, you don't know me, I do come to your church, but I got your number from one of the staff members, and I'm like, what staff member? No, uh, actually, he goes, actually, I I got, this is gonna sound really weird, but the Lord told me to buy you a snowblower. And I was wondering if I could drop it off at your house tonight. And I'm thinking, Nobody knows that I needed a snowblower. I haven't told a soul. And this guy randomly, and, and guess what? He shows up with a truck at my house. And guess what was in the back of the truck? The red, shiny snowblower. I just looked at earlier that day. I kept thinking, what are the odds? And let me tell you, every time I fire that bad boy up, I feel like having a Pentecostal revival. <laughs> And that snowblower is so manly, every time you turn it on, the hair on your chest grows by two inches. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's a really weird snowblower. I'm just telling you, it's that awesome. And I, okay, get this, okay? I know, I, I, I know I'm telling these stories in a humorous way, but that actually happened. And the moment we gave that, we, the moment we made that decision, to live with radical generosity. Get this, our church income randomly Grew by over twenty thousand dollars a week, over a million dollars a year. I'm like, who just started coming to our church and started tithing? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, where did this money start coming from? Literally, and not just that, everything started changing for us in terms of opportunity and finances. Even I suddenly get i I'm getting phone calls from all over the place. People wanting to do major book deals. Somebody even came up to me and said, God spoke to me to literally give you ten thousand dollars. And I'm like, what is going on? I've never in all my life had so many people come to me and randomly give me stuff out of nowhere. And, and let me tell you something, church. Let me explain what I believe was actually going on in that season of my life. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 and 8. Such a classic Bible text, but hear it once again. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6 Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Verse 8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, and at having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Come on, somebody really in some ways i was living out proverbs 11:25 which says a generous man prospers he who refreshes others will himself get refreshed you see just like cornelius God can turn your generosity into a fast forward on your life. It's just like this, which is why the second takeaway I want to give to you is this. Generosity results in provision from God. I talked about generosity resulting in revelation. Well, guess what? It also results in provision from God. And listen, if you need provision, I know this sounds backwards, but a great place to start is by being generous because you reap what you sow. Generosity results in provision and revelation. And as one last illustration of this, I, I, I wanna end by telling you a quick um, church history story about a, a famous Christian named George Whitfield. And uh, if you don't know who George Whitfield is, he's one of those, he, he's a dynamic Christian leader from the, the mid to late 1700s who helped launch Methodism alongside guys like John Wesley. Well, um, at that time there happened to be a widow in his church that was considerably poor and he felt like you know the Bible commands us to take care of the widow and the orphan and 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 so um Whitfield had saved up about eleven hundred dollars, which in those days um if you you know for inflation and all that, actually translated it using all this web data, it was roughly about $27,000 in Canadian dollars uh, by today's standard, okay, so $1,100 in those days would be about the equivalent of $27,000, and so he was about to bring it to the widow, and he, 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 he told the widow, he sent a message to the widow that, hey, we're going to be coming to your village. which was a considerable hike, and we're going to bring this money to you. Um, But you have to understand, in those days, traveling was a very hazardous thing, and there were a lot of highway robbers that could take your money, and quite often they would kill you. And sure enough, Whitfield, on the way to give this money to the widow, guess what happened? He got mugged, and all of the money was taken. All of it. And of course, Whitfield was just devastated. He's like, come on. Lord, That money, that money was for the widow. You claim to want to take care of the widows and the orphans, and yet you allowed this to happen. Like, why? Why would you let this happen? And I don't know if you've ever been there before where you're like, God, do you even see me? Do you even feel what I feel? Or do, you even, do you see what's happening right now? And, uh, and of course, you know how it is when it rains, it pours, right? Suddenly he hears the highway robber galloping back to him again. And this, this time he thought, oh no, um, for sure. He's that's it. He's going to kill us. We saw too much and he initially was going to let us live. And now he changed his mind and he's coming back. And so the highway robber comes galloping up and he goes, you, and he points at Whitfield again, give me your jacket too. And of course, Whitfield had a brand new jacket and brand new overcoat. And he's thinking, "Ugh, my new overcoat. And, you know, it's cold out. So he takes his jacket and tosses it up to the robber. And the robber takes his raggy jacket and whips it down into the mud and then just gallops off. Well, of course, you know, now Whitfield and his friend, they can barely breathe. And he's still thinking, God, where were you? And finally they came upon some cottages where they started to relax. And of course, Whitfield was so cold that he grabbed the robber's jacket and kind of huddled into it and walked over to these cottages when all of a sudden they're sitting down in this cottage and he felt this giant lump in the jacket. And it turns out when the robber switched coats, he forgot to transfer all the cash he had stolen. Okay. And and get this, not only was Whitfield's original money in there, $27,000, but there was an additional at least $200,000 in there. Come on. I bet you God was up in heaven saying, who's your daddy? Say it. Say it. <laughs> oh, where are you God? you don't see me. Who's your daddy? Which is why my third takeaway, and we'll end with this, is, is generosity always results in multiplication. It results in revelation, it results in provision, and it results in multiplication. And if you keep reading... In, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, the story of Cornelius, you'll find out that his entire household ended up getting saved. When he sent for Simon Peter, Simon Peter gave him the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, his entire family gave their lives to Christ. And even more than that, that event, Cornelius... Mm-hmm. Is the, the very event that the disciples realized that the gospel was for the whole world, not just for the Jews. Do you realize that you and I are sitting here because of Cornelius's generosity? Think about that. I mean, think about it. his acts of generosity have multiplied beyond his wildest imagination, and now we are the collateral blessing of Cornelius's decision. Think about that for a second. I think that when we talk about generosity, a lot of us fixate on financial generosity, but really um, the, sometimes the hardest generosity is emotional and relational generosity. You know what I mean? Releasing friends and family members who've hurt us or or the ability to forgive coworkers or bosses or people, you know, ex um, whoever's, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the ability to trust again. And and I know that there's a lot of people who are like, well, I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with unforgiveness. Well, how do you know if you've forgiven someone? Well, you no longer feel the need to rehearse someone's failures. If you know, if you know you're a relationally generous person when you just never feel the need to rant about anyone. You know what I mean? Because rehearsing other people's sin is... is the telltale sign of emotional stinginess and unforgiveness. And listen, when we've been hurt, we've all been there, but I ultimately believe that the most accurate measure of our maturity is how well we respond to other people's brokenness with generosity. How well we respond when we've been robbed, how well we respond to that moment with even more generosity. You see, generosity always seems easy until someone robs us or betrays us. But I just, I I really, I'm telling you, when we feel robbed, it's easy um, to, to fall into this temptation of being selfish, recoiling, rationing our hearts. But I really believe that God brought you to church today because he wants you to know that your betrayal can actually be your breakthrough. You know what I'm saying? Your breakdown can be your breakthrough. And, and, um, And really, how do you do it? How do you get out of that that ditch? By simply being generous. And so maybe today, God is actually speaking to you, not about financial generosity, but about emotional generosity. But uh, the reason why I'm even sharing all of this is because I believe at the end of the day, God just wants us to, to be generous. Why? Because that's who God is. God is generous. And when we live generously, guess what we look more like? We look more like God. And I'll tell you what, if there's anything in this world that people need to experience more, it's a revelation of God. And by simply being like him, we can experience that. And listen, maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're like me in that nightclub and you're just like, I don't know what I think about all this. Listen, um, it's not about you having it all figured out. It's about you being opened. And so uh, just open up to God and like Cornelius and just saying, hey, I may not have all the information, but I'm gonna act upon the information I've got by simply being faithful to take little steps of doing what I know is right. And I believe that when we respond to God that way, All of a sudden, revelation. All of a sudden, provision. All of a sudden, multiplication. And listen, I love you too much to to leave you where you're at. And so right now, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just do business with God, could we? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every person in this room, every situation that you see. And God, you know what we need even before we ask, and you provide all that we need according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I pray that your abounding, compassionate love would meet every single person here today, whether we're far from you or close to you, and that you would just take us closer to you by giving us a revelation about who you are in church. If you agree with the prayer, I'm praying, then just say this after me. Say this real quick. Dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead. Starting today, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for letting me share. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because the life saved is worth everything.